Hello friends, how's it going? My name's Matt Bart and you listen to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. The show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for tuning in, hope you enjoy this episode, which is a really lovely, emotional at times conversation with my friend Yvette Curtis. I actually met Yvette through the podcast, believe it or not. She's a listener, long term I believe, and we started chatting on Instagram initially as is the modern way and it turned out as it often does that we had a lot of friends in common so next couple of times I was down in Devon which is where Yvette lives we caught up for coffee breakfast pints chats etc and I began to look more closely into Yvette's work as the founder and organizer of Wave Wahinis her women and girls only surf club through which she's on a mission to make surfing in the UK more accessible to women girls and women of colour So if this is ringing a bell, it's because Yvette found herself in the limelight in summer 2020, I believe, after appearing on a segment on BBC Spotlight here in the UK, after which she received, frankly, a horrible amount of abuse and online bullying. Um, After dusting herself down, she came back more energised than ever and has subsequently built Wave Wahinis up further and brought it to a really interesting point um, where she's got a decision to make about whether she expands it whether she tries to take it around the UK, go full-time, etc. Now, I think the reason I'm such a fan of Yvette's work and why I was so keen to chat to her for the podcast is it's because it's the story of how one person can impact the grassroots in real time. As you're going to hear, Yvette's got some strong opinions about surf culture in the UK, um, which I think a lot of people who are part of that world will probably find a little challenging. Um, Happens that I agree with her. Um, I often talk a lot about how we need to protect our culture, ask questions of traditional surf culture and explore why it is so predominantly white and male. And Yvette is basically doing that work. And it's through work such as this that you're going to get change, however, irrevocably. And as I discovered during our conversation, this has come at great emotional and personal costs. Like everybody, Yvette does struggle with the dreaded imposter syndrome. And indeed, the very idea that she's got any right to be a spokesperson on any of the issues we discussed. But, you know, her experiences as a British woman of colour in the 21st century are real. They are impactful. They are challenging and they should be heard more often, um, which is one of the main reasons why I wanted to have this conversation. Um, So what follows is a chat about ordinary people, good people, people with the best intentions doing extraordinary things. And when ordinary people do extraordinary things and make good trouble, as Yvette puts it, paraphrasing the great John Lewis, not that one, Senator John Lewis, um, change can happen. And for me, this is as valid a contribution to our culture as somebody who is venerated for being good at riding a plank of wood, foam or carbon, or venerated for posting pictures of surfing on Instagram. Um, Shining a light on such stories such as this is why I actually started this podcast and why I'm so chuffed I finally talked Yvette into coming onto the show. So here's me and Yvette. Good trouble. Enjoy. Uh, Cheers. How are you? Cheers, Matt. I'm really good, thank you. Yeah? Yeah. How's your day going? Uh, yeah, it's not too bad. Quite a, quite a chilled out Sunday. So I managed to get rid of the kids for a couple of hours. So that's always quite nice. Yeah. And did you surf? Because obviously it's it's quite good, isn't it? I did not. No, we went you over in, to... You were in Lynmouth yesterday, yeah? We went to Lynmouth. Yeah, Steve surfed. I'm definitely not, um, yeah, not... <laughs> 
I'm still in the white water, so yeah. still barely standing up. So yeah, definitely not Lynmouth for me. Yeah, I was a bit like that, given my uh, lack of fitness and general uselessness. Um, last couple of days, I was a bit like, yeah, I'm not sure I should be concerning the lineup oh, at Lynmouth. We'll be giving you some gym tips before you go home. Yeah, <laughs> I need it. I need it. Yeah, I was, I was definitely like I was saying before. I was like, I gotta get fit again. Yeah, I really noticed as I uh, got to 43. I don't know how old you are, but 43, I just really, I was like, um, like noticed like how much more quickly I lost fitness, like how much more difficult it was to to regain it. Suddenly had this like whole new raft of like. Oh, yep. It's that reversibility. Right. That's, that's yeah, that's what it's called. What does, so, that, yeah. so what does that mean? Reversibility. So there's a name, of course there's a name there for it. There is a name there's for it. There's always a name. Always a name. Yeah. So what does that, but go on then. It just me. basically means the the speed that you lose your your fitness, your muscle tone, your supple, all of that stuff. So, so yeah. So that as you age, that in, that your it, reversibility, you, your reversibility, you lose it quicker. Yeah. And it's harder to regain. Can so you, it's, can it's you a double do whammy. An, can you do anything about that other than just basically stay on top of it? Like the only way that you can sort of count that is by basically you've just got to yeah, you just got to keep on, on it. it. You can't do like what you know. I've been the classic bloke who likes drinking and sport sort of like feast or, you know what I mean? Like feast <laughs> or famine, like kind of right. Well, kind of like, like what I'm doing now. Like, I, you know, I've had the winter of basically drinking beer and getting a bit fat. And, yeah. Uh, and then you've got to come back though from like, you know, way, six months ago. So yeah, it's way tough. further back. Than yeah. hundred percent. You, yeah, you just got to try and stay on top of it, which is God, just almost news. impossible sometimes. Yeah. So it is a thing, right? Cause I did, I definitely noticed it, but yeah, I, I don't really know anything about that. I'm sort of proper layman with, you know, fitness and activity. And oh, no, that's been my, uh, that's been my bread and butter for like the past 15 years. So, yeah. That's so, you're, so what, you're a personal trainer? Yeah, personal trainer by trade. That's what I've, that's what I've trained in or retrained in, I suppose, because I'm knocking on now. Right. But you've but also like studied it by the sounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. I did all my qualifications and stuff and did everything to do with GP referrals, so specialising in people who've got chronic illness and long-term illness. Right. You know, anti and postnatal fitness, older populations, all sorts. So. Right. Yeah, worked in it in a long time now. Yeah. And what were you doing before? I was a buyer for a life science company. Right. Okay. <laughs> so it's quite a shift then. It's a really big shift in career. I um, I've always been into sport, so that's always been part of my lifestyle. Right. All the way through school, you know, sports captain. Sporty kid. Yeah, massively. Yeah. I, I absolutely loved it. You know, my favourite teacher was the PE teacher. Right. So, so you're into it. Yeah, all the time. And so it's always seen me through life. Um, but I didn't really see it as a career. Right. So didn't really know what to do with that. And so I sort of worked through customer service and then became a purchaser. So I was working in um, a pharmaceutical company, which was, you know, really interesting. So you're buying all the all the drugs before they go to chemical trials. So, right. it's, yeah, it was a really great thing to do. But then, um, yeah, I just decided to completely retrain one day and, and did. Just checked it all in, paid loads of money, retrained and became a PT. So funny how common it is for people of our generation who have spent their adult lives basically going backwards in a way like working out what you actually want to do like you know like thinking of my wife really in in specifically who is only really now kind of working out what she wants to do with life and you know she's like mid mid 40s 
It's I just so common. It's got so oh many, God. so many friends. Like, pretty much everyone I know is like all the time. This is why it's constant, you, isn't it? I think when you've got kids as well, and you, you know, you've got them sort of doing their options in GCSE year or university, and there's so much pressure on them to make that decision as to what they're going to do. Yeah. And I don't know a single person in my friendship group that is doing what they thought they'd do at sort of 15, 16. Yeah, You know, completely. everyone I know is retrained or changed their life or, yeah, it's just, it's a lot of pressure, I think, when you know that that's probably not going to be what sees them through. Yeah. So what was it that prompted you to, to kind of make make that decision to retrain then? I think it was probably my divorce. Um, I ran a couple of marathons um, to get me through that divorce right. and that period of life. So yeah. I realised just how much it meant to me and then... I guess just figuring that out, realise actually if I can share that a little bit and if I can make this into a career, yeah, it would be amazing. And, and I've been doing that ever since. Have you always kind of used sport as that kind of coping mechanism? Like, yeah. Like as a, because I kind of do that as well. Yeah. I mean, even, even again, like, you know, I was saying, right, I'm going to get fit and I'm going to sort it out. Like it's almost, it's quite like a cl- mentally cleansing thing for me, I've realised, like to sort of go through that process. It's like, so good. Yeah. And I've always used it for that tool but I think it's just it's the accomplishment more than anything yeah you know because if you set yourself a target of you know whether it's just like 10 squats for three days on the trot you know just having done that is is like a really it's just a big win yeah so 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 you retrained and then you started exploring it more and more so how did the 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 wahinis thing that you that you've been doing for that how long now uh in, in its sixth year I think so yeah six years now that was, was that an extension of <laughs> no not at all that was completely by accident um and i'm gonna blame alia my eldest for that one wholeheartedly um she wanted to surf and wanted to surf more but it's really expensive as i'm sure you're probably well aware you know you're looking at north of probably 40 quid just for one session right you know that's part of a group so that's not even one-on-one yeah um yeah so very few people can afford that and i was definitely not one of them um, so we looked at different surf clubs, different surf schools locally, tried to find something that was affordable that she could do. And, um, <coughs> excuse me. And all of those were predominantly male. And as a 12 year old girl, it was just, yeah, it just didn't fit at all for her. Right. So I was lucky enough to be friends with quite a lot of people within the surf community here. Um, this is Croyd, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and I spoke to them about the idea of setting up a girls' surf club just because I, I couldn't be the only mum who is an absolute terrible surfer. Yeah. You know, not massive. I wasn't a big fan of the sea at that point either. You right. know, I wouldn't go out of my depth. I certainly couldn't help her with learning to surf. So, but I did run a successful business as a trainer and I'm a good coach. And, you know, as you know, with any sort of sport, if you've got the biomechanics down, you know what you're doing, you can coach and you can pick up things. Right. But I'm not qualified to coach them. Yeah. So we got Surf Southwest on board. We got Karma, who's a GB champion on board. And then, yeah, we just started Wave Wahilis. And six years later, we're regularly getting like 40 girls in the water with us on a weekly basis. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is quite mad for this town, isn't it? Because you would obviously incorrectly assume that because this is such a epicenter of uk surf culture i don't know like you, you would feel like that there was an open expected to be an openness and a yeah an accessibility there's, there's really not and you know 
you know, I'm from Bristol anyway, so I'm, you know, I'm a city girl at heart. So coming down here, definitely, you know, surfing was definitely not really on my radar. I've tried it a couple of times and been as rubbish at it then as I am now. Yeah. But I always really enjoy it. You know, I love being in the sea, or at least I do now. I wasn't much of a fan. But yeah, coming down here from the city, it's definitely not, wasn't a huge thing that I thought I'd ever learn to do and certainly not be part of my career. Right. So it just wasn't on your radar? No, not at all. It's, I don't. I don't think it's accessible in any way. No. <laughs> that's all. No. It's quite, well, you listen to the podcast, don't you? So you're obviously aware that that's such a common theme yep. that comes up in all the, all the, a lot of the conversations I've been having recently around this topic. Yeah. Accessibility and surfing are, are not, uh, not hand in hand in my book. Yeah. So can you explain a little bit what you mean about that? Because one yeah. of, uh, b- before you do that, just some context, like one of the things I've really noticed about these conversations that I've been having is that people that don't perceive that to be a problem because they're not impacted by it often get very, very aggravated by the merest suggestion that there is any kind of um, barrier of entry, um, which is something I find really, really fascinating um, as well. And I imagine there's a couple of people listening to this probably recoiling a little bit at the very idea that there's any problem with accessibility with surfing. Oh so what, yeah. what, well, you you know, like you just see that whenever, yeah. whenever anything gets posted about any issue around any of these activities really you know like we're not stopping people from doing it like what's the big deal that's the kind oh of my God. that's the kind of refrain yeah. is it well and you've ex- you uh, experienced you, you experienced this firsthand with yes. the bbc the bbc spotlight piece, spotlight piece. Oh, yeah that was and just that was hideous. literally what this was about that wasn't was it? exactly this is kind of what started it for me um you know obviously i'm i'm not white i'm a woman of color you know my heritage is my dad's from mauritius and my mum's white british just so people have sort of that gauge but I did this particular piece knowing that the people around me are mostly, it's mostly a white sport, it's mostly a male sport. And obviously we'd already broken that barrier of participation as far as gender goes. You know, yeah. we do have a huge female following and participation. Um, but of those girls that surf with us, very few are of colour. Yeah, It's really great that we do have, you know, some women and girls of colour that surf with us, which is already, you know, above the, uh, the usual to be fair. And so we started to put a piece together, I think in the the backlash of um, the death of George Floyd or the murder of George Floyd, I should rephrase. That really became sort of quite poignant and I was approached by the BBC about my feelings towards it yeah. um, and the surf community and could they come and do some filming. So we spoke at length about that lack of accessibility and that lack of representation, which I think is one of, you know, one of many barriers. And when that piece aired, the 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 abuse that I got afterwards was pretty pretty huge. Um, again, that typical there aren't any signs stopping them. No one's you know stopping them at the beach, turning them round. It's like that is exactly part of the problem, you know. And it was yeah, it was really hard for me as an individual to kind of read it. And you know, I had to sort of switch my social media off for sort of two days afterwards because you know there's that moment of going, what do I do? You know, I find that really hard. Um, luckily I know loads of women who are much better at sort of talking about this stuff than me and they all jumped in on social media in my defense um, quoted loads of you know paperwork and loads of research around what we're trying to achieve and why we're trying to reach out to marginalized communities Um, but yeah it was pretty horrendous yeah and one of the things that I've since we've been friends and I've been aware of what you do like one of the things that I've been really struck by is like you you 
you're kind of like a, a slightly unwilling spokesperson if if that's not if that's not too crudely put you know <laughs> right. like and, and i guess i guess what i'm what i'm getting at is and one of the questions i was gonna ask you earlier is like because you talked about how it was through your daughter right that basically like this all yeah. came about but obviously because you're impassioned and you're aware of the issues and you did it did it happen that quite quickly you kind of saw Wahinis is like a bit of a vehicle to explore these ideas did that come afterwards I think yeah that came afterwards you know to begin with it was just about facilitating something and providing something yeah. and, and enabling the girls to get in the water you know it really was about that and then just suddenly this it almost takes on a bit of its own life um, and then you know I get phone calls to especially after George Floyd it was really you know I don't know whether people are trawling social media to find you know people of the right ethnicity to discuss things with you know and then I get phone calls to go well can you be part of this can you can we ask you that and and it was quite daunting to be like I don't want to be the voice of of women of color who are in the surf community a because I feel a bit of a fraud because I'm a terrible surfer um but also it's it's kind of putting my heritage out there it's putting my family out there um and and you're putting yourself open to quite a lot of abuse and quite a lot of vitriol um yeah and i think it's you know for me to get on air and start challenging and talking about things that i do with like again i'm a white middle-aged bloke like i'm coming out from a position of pretty much like definitive privilege really you know with what i do so like i, I think even on that level like i'm i've been sort of through life like I'm able to sort of brush that off quite easily. I think you know when I get I when I get shit for it, like you know I'm a bit like oh, whatever. I don't really give a fuck about and that. And that's sort of it. Thing. But what's really important is that you you understand that and you acknowledge that sort of privilege and you you totally accept it. Whereas I think you know you understand there's not that major access to the certain action sports. You get that. And I think what I find really just really irritating is that moment of going well, well no surfing surfing is like the most accessible sport we know. And and that's just such a lack of of understanding for somebody else's else's lens, really. You know, because you don't know how someone else sees a sport. Yeah, what's the quote like? When you're privileged, everything feels like an act of oppression. Anything, ch- you know, is that, yeah, is that absolutely. Qu- quite well known quote, isn't it? And I think that's really difficult, and that happens a lot in in the surf community. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, even the fact that we're having this conversation will have definitely turned some people off. Like whenever, I, whenever I do an episode where we discuss these issues I always get and it's always to be honest like white middle-aged blokes that are like I disagree with that like there's no, that's and they, and they get really wound up about it you know and quite often I end up getting into these debates where I'm a bit like but it doesn't have to be one or the other like it doesn't have to be this binary like no. why not just try and understand the perspective that's what I don't get like why not just try and consider that there might be some truth in this like it's not I an think, attack on you and that's the problem you know I sat um I sat in a room fairly recently with sort of Surfing England, which is the NGB for surfing here, with a representative from Sport England, you know, in a room full of maybe 15 coaches, former athletes, current athletes, and other voices within the surf community. Of those maybe 15, there were four women, myself included. And of that room, I was the only person of color in that room. And I remember having quite a few discussions and there's, you know, there's the old faces that you'd expect to be there and there's, you know, some young faces and new faces and I was really happy to be part of that discussion and had been invited, so I was really pleased. But then I did have that comment of, 
surfing's really accessible and I sort of looked around and thought well actually it's it's really not and I was quite sort of shot down for that and in that entire room while we're discussing pathways for English surfers to to go on to that elite pathway I was the only person to say how do we address the diversity within the coaching staff within the athletes and within that support staff the only person in the room so what happens if I wasn't there if me as a person of color is the only person championing diversity what hope is there because I'm not going to be in all those rooms you know so yeah that I was really yeah I was really struck by that so this and again I did put it quite crudely earlier when I said like you know you're a an unwilling spokesperson I think I said but you know what I mean by that like what I'm getting at is the fact that you're putting yourself out there and it's obviously yeah. something that is emotionally quite challenging for you you know like to to, to put yourself in this position of of, it, of of like you say sticking your hand up and then getting attacked I think that's it you know it's it is hard but I after the whole like BBC um, trolling and stuff I spoke to my sat down with my dad for ages and had the conversation with him, you know, about what happened and showed him. And, you know, we sat down sort of, he was, he was here with my mum and, and he just explained loads of stuff he'd gone through as a male nurse coming over from Mauritius when he was 17 as part of that Windrush generation um, and working within the NHS. And he talked about, you know, the level of, of just standard racism that you'd get in that in that role you know it would be like oh no we just don't promote people like you so don't even try and go for that and that was just accepted um and he said to me he said look Yvette you've got the ability to actually argue back said you know the law's on your side to kind of challenge this stuff um and you know in his day he couldn't have challenged it because he would have been the one that was in the wrong just because of the color of his skin so I kind of, you know, I've always thought actually as much as it's stressful for me and it can be emotional and I, I don't want to be that spokesperson, I kind of think it's a massive disservice to what he's experienced over his lifetime if if I don't call that shit out when it happens. Yeah, because like you say, you've now got more of a platform than he than he did basically. Yeah. To, to sort of pretty gently point out that perhaps there might be a another way of doing things yeah. <laughs> shocker what a shocker yeah so how are you fi- how are you finding that kind of you know tension that i'm describing like between because because obviously you're an interesting point with what you do like it's growing it's you know it's, yeah. it's becoming more recognized you it's know, definitely you, and you're being you know find yourself in that position more and more of like and also you've got a choice it seems to me with what you're doing you could stick to the kind of like let's just create a more accessible environment for women sort of side of things but there's also like a slightly more again challenging in the in in that sense of the word approach that you could take and last time we had a chat i think it was about november wasn't it yeah i kind of felt when we're in the pub you're you're a bit like you recognize that choice but you weren't too sure what to i i wasn't i know i remember that conversation really well um and it's been a really f- tough few months of thinking, you know, what do we do? As as a as a surf club, we've pushed for participation and we've worked really hard on that front. We've worked really hard in terms of, you know, the diversity within our female lineup, worked with local female ref- refugees and and sort of really challenging those barriers and challenging that perception. And and you know, I think that is 
that is going to be that direction is I've kind of I think I've kind of accepted the fact that I'm going to call this stuff out Um, and I think as soon as I made that decision it was like okay well I'm just going to have to go all in and just say you know when this is wrong it's wrong I'm not going to be I'm not going to sort of you know actively go and try and cause trouble and stuff but what is it good trouble um (laughs) be that positive disruptor and I don't think there's anything wrong in that because and you know you'll see it from within the surf community when you look at the board or when you look at those coaching staff and actually there's not that diversity and I've just you know I was just sort of part of that include summit and just having a watch of that online and you're looking at all these amazing athletes trying to you know use their platform to to tackle diversity within sports and and our, you know surfing's no different if anything surfing is is a lot harder because it is such a, a sort of white male sport so to to challenge that you do need that hierarchy to also represent the people you're trying to get into your sport and and try and find why those barriers are what those barriers are if they exist how do you challenge it but those are questions that that aren't being asked by anyone so yeah I'm going to ask the questions now so so presumably you're not feeling from the experience that you described when you you're actually in the room with some of the decision makers presumably you're not you're quite depressed I imagine by that by the fact that it wasn't even on, I was on the I, radar yeah I did and I remember sort of I walked out and I just thought how how was I the only person to raise that question and I think I raised that actually on a panel where your friend Phil was talking and and I asked him I said how oh, is this at the blue the blue earth summit yeah, yeah. and I I said to that particular panel because that was again about who owns the outdoors and I was like if we're not in those rooms how are we getting those those questions answered how are we raising it because I was the only person to do so and and you know and he was quite quite adamant and just said if we're not in the room just start banging down the doors and so you know just gonna start banging down a few doors hey <laughs> yeah but that's again you know Phil that's Phil Phil's like he's probably listening hello Phil like um that's his character though he can do that you know that's not and, and I know it comes at a price for him as well like so I can imagine like and it really does like and that's one of the reasons I'm so proud of Phil because <clears throat> you know he spent his life basically being having to be that person asking uncomfortable questions and in the last few years his work is like you know it's it's, it's become even more pointed really um so but he's obviously from what it seems to me been able to reconcile the emotional turmoil that that, that, that it brings him to yeah. sort of do to, to do that i think i'm definitely still at the beginning of that journey yeah that's it's just hard that's what i mean like you know if, if you if you're coming at it from a place where you're not confident to do that or you're not you, you know you're not a man like because uh, again that's a that's quite a fairly yeah. significant thing you know the gender imbalance in in our industry is is real yeah definitely Th- then, i get that it, in most rooms it's it's even more of a challenge isn't it it's really it is really hard but i do you know it's got to change and you know I'm a realist I know things like that aren't going to change overnight but it has to and I think I think we're at a real sort of precipice just in terms of society actually listening to stuff actually caring what's going on you know I remember when so the Rodney King riots in in America you know I was must have only been God, 91 80, I think yeah. wasn't it you know I was only a kid when that happened and nothing changed you know for a while it was like oh you know all this is happening this is awful and and then still nothing happened and then 
you just see crisis after crisis and you just end up just going, is it ever going to be equal? Are we ever going to feel like the same as everyone else? You know, I mean, admittedly, I don't get people shouting the P word at me in the street anymore, which I did when I was a kid. So I don't have that. But as an adult, it becomes a lot more of an unconscious thing you know a lot more you know you'll get more looks or the attitudes are there rather than the actual like verbal assault so as in what like on a microaggression level yeah exactly so it's a really different thing you definitely feel that there's the barriers are there for for you in different ways as a kid but you kind of it's almost easier if you have someone shouting at you because you can deal with that yeah but it's when it's something that seems really underhand that's just that's harder to that's harder to challenge yeah and also a bit more insidious isn't it because if you take an example of like people actually just denying and getting angry about the very prospect of increasing accessibility for example Mm. or being in a room with key decision makers who appear unaware of the very issues you try to raise that is dangerous on another level again isn't it than like you say than just over racism in the street because yeah. like at least you can kind of put that down to something but when it's like institutional or cultural exactly and i think that's what that's what surfing has it's definitely that the culture within it and i don't think it's anything that's you know consciously we're trying to exclude people but i just think it's exclusive by its nature just because of that lack of representation whether it's through media or whether it's through, you know, the actual industry itself, it's just not there. You know, America's getting slightly better at it. You know, you've got things like black girl surf, brown girl surf, textured waves, you know, all of those things. That's a real movement within surf culture in the States. Um, Over here, well, that's kind of us. We're, We're doing what we can as far as diversity goes, but we're only one, we're only one club. Um, you know admittedly we're doing a lot and and I'm working super hard in that area but it's it's really hard to get those changes at at a board level or at an industry level or to be to be seen without then I guess without risking your position within that industry and that community and that culture what as in you feel like it comes at a reputational price not reputation because I'm not really that fussed um, in terms of that but I you know I've spoken to you before and in our conversations I've sort of expressed you know that I really I really still believe that you can change things from being inside that body inside a governing body for example and I want to be at that board level you know because I want to make those changes I try to make them at other levels within industry and they've not worked So maybe coming in at that board level would be the way to do that. And I worry by being so outspoken, I'm sure, you know, there'll be people who are within that industry now listening to this podcast. This could well be me kissing goodbye to the the chance to ever be on those boards. I think that's what I'm really interested in, though, because, again, like that's. That is that's that's sunny, isn't it? That is sunny. (laughs) I just met my second favorite dog in the world after Peg, obviously. Sorry, Peg. He loves you too as well. Um, I think that's what I'm kind of getting at when I use the word reputational and you made the good trouble reference. Essentially, what I'm getting at is like when a person of colour rattles the cage, the kind of, you know, it's it's like, oh, there's that troublemaker again. Yeah. You know, there's that loud. There's a lot of tropes. 
unfortunately. Um, well, the, the angry black woman. <laughs> yeah, it's not really my place to say it, but you, that's, obviously know, what yeah. that's obviously what I'm getting at, really. You and, know, I, and I totally understand that. Or, you know, you've got a chip on your shoulder. Yeah, you know? and, and I really discern when we have our conversations about this that you're very, very aware of the fact that you are potentially... And you're not even... You're polite. <laughs> you know, like you're really going at this from a... From a, ver- from a very, very inclusive way. Yeah. You know, you're just trying to do it in a way that's like, should we maybe have a think about this? Yeah, I d- you know, I try to be because I kind of, you know, I've worked in pubs for years when I was younger. And, and the one thing that's always stuck with me is that whenever someone started swearing at me was the minute they lost their argument. Yeah. If they had to resort to sort of swearing in my face was like, that's it, you've lost me. So I, I always try to just, you know, keep my cool talk things through use you know actual vocabulary to have that conversation and try and make them see things from my perspective but yeah sometimes especially when it comes to talking about your ethnicity and talking about something that you feel is really exclusive you do just want to sometimes just swear at them and just go can't you fucking see yeah you know but it's another thing that you're obviously having to consider that I, yeah. I, for example, don't have to consider. No, no I gonna, definitely have to consider no one's that. Gonna, no one's going to accuse me of having a chip on my shoulder. Or, well, they kinda, well, they might. They kind of <laughs> did, did recently, actually. <laughs> yeah, but, um, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean, though? Like, it's, it's, it doesn't really... It's, it's, I certainly didn't factor that into my thinking. No, but, I, I, you know, I do. You do have to have those thoughts in your head. And, you know, and I'm relatively light-skinned, so, you know, I've got that privilege of being quite light-skinned, so I'm not you know seen as an angry black woman in that sense um but yeah it's de- it definitely factors into your thought process of what do you do things and you know and I, it's a really it's just it's just really shit to be honest mate it really is shit to have to think about your color when we're in this day and age and you're still and you're doing something in a space that you really care about you really love you want your children to enjoy it and you want them not to be excluded. You know, I mean, thankfully, my two oldest ones look, you know, white as snow. But my youngest, she's got my eyes, my skin tone, my dark hair. And I'm just like, oh, my God, what is what is life going to be like for her? And it's that's just a really crappy way of looking at life, that you're really grateful that two of your kids look white. And the other one, that you're thinking, oh, God, I hope she doesn't get called a packy in the street because you'd probably kill someone at that point. But... Yeah, I just shouldn't have to think about that now. And and yeah, maybe that's why I am putting up such a fight. Maybe that's why I am putting my head firmly above the parapet on this particular thing. Because I can, and I should, and I will, and I am. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that, that no, suddenly I mean, went a bit crazy. No, I just wanted to let you speak, though, because <laughs> I think I think that's I think that's people should hear that what you've got to say about that. You know, Thank I think I, I I do though because I think what I always get when I when I have conversations like this from from white listeners is like I had no fucking idea, you know, especially from yeah. the Guardian reading fair trade tea bag drinking yeah yeah exactly sort of uh, liberal end of the market let's just say who consider themselves to be really progressive and consider themselves to 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 be really across these things like it's still something that is not just not on your radar really and I, yeah and that's and that's a you know i understand that people don't get exposed to it and but it happens and it's still happening whether it's someone shouting at you or whether it's just that really 
it's those barriers that are up in front of you, but it's definitely there. And I'm a real firm believer that sport has so much power and lifestyle sports even more so because they're creating cultures, they're changing cultures. So they're really different. They're not just that competitive side. They've got so much more reach and so much more power. So I do think, you know, from that aspect, surfing's got so much it could do and then it should be doing it. And I think, you know, America's doing it more and yeah maybe it's time we sort of stepped up a little bit too well you've obviously hit on a pet theme of mine there <laughs> <laughs> um but before we get into that i was gonna i was gonna ask you about the the work with refugees that you're doing because that was obviously coming from this place that you've just described right like the, mm, the power oh my God. the yeah. power of an activity like this to just amazing to, to transform lives so can you first explain like what the project is and then yeah yeah we um applied for funding through Sport England, actually through their Tackling Inequalities funding. Um, and we were successful to take women and girls or girls from diverse ethnic communities surfing um, to find out what barriers there were. And when we looked at sort of diverse ethnic communities, we were just expecting, you know, women, well, girls of mixed heritage um, in the local area. So, I was really surprised when I then spoke with our local community partnerships at Pickwell Foundation um, about Syrian families that I knew lived in the area, that there were actually, gosh, nine or 10 families in the area, which I had no idea. Just around North Devon? Just around North Devon, right. yeah. So I spoke to her and said, actually, would would it be worth just running a one specifically for the Syrian refugee girls? Because you know, that brings a really different dynamic just in terms of the cultural barriers, the language barriers, the trauma barriers. So it's it was actually, we couldn't do multiple communities at that point. It was a decision that we made to just focus on the Syrian refugee girls. Right. Um, just because it was so different in terms of what we were looking to deliver to what we ended up delivering. Um, and it was 100% life-changing for us as coaches and volunteers. Um, what was really interesting was the volunteers that we had were predominantly from mixed heritage backgrounds also. Right. Um, local women who surf were in the community, who found out what we we're doing or who I mentioned it to and offered their services to volunteer. Yeah. And and that was, you know, by their admission, was they wanted to, to show these girls that they're welcome, show these girls that it's a space for them. Yeah. Because again, it's that representation. If it was just loads of, you know, obviously it's amazing that we had so many helpers anyway, but to actually be able to resonate with the person that you're you're being coached by was, I think it was so powerful. Yeah. And that was really good. But the, I mean, some of the girls had arrived in the height of quarantine right. in the pandemic. So they were displaced by Syrian the war. Syrian war. Yeah which in hindsight was now the sort of first leg of the current... Uh, yeah, exactly. The, the current um, Russia uh, situation. Because yeah. that was a proxy, like getting too into it, that was like a proxy Russian... West, it was, exactly. West, but like, like Russia funded the whole Syrian regime, blah, blah, blah. So that's the first... But interestingly, we haven't, you know, jumped in. We didn't jump in as much to help Syria. Is that because we, we have the they don't look like us attitude? You know, that's, again... Well, that's one of the, that's one of the really yeah. uncomfortable things about this... Um, morally uncomfortable things about this current situation isn't it yeah. because obviously it is a shall we say global north um yeah global south kind of reaction it's, Contrast, it's been so it? different yeah it's yeah. been so different but having you know obviously back to our sort of surf thing with the girls it was 
you don't know what they've seen or been through and and these girls are trusting you with their lives and their parents are trusting you so it's yeah it was an amazing thing to kind of have a little girl who's 11 who's oh my god Sonny's going mad isn't he <laughs> so sorry have a little girl who's 11 who's never seen the ocean much less put a foot in it and was terrified to then you know in the space of an hour and a half having to then drag her out because she was having so much fun right you know we didn't we very off, very occasionally got on the surfboards most of it was about getting in the water and just becoming more confident um but it was just yeah it was life-changing for us you know and I'm and I think from speaking to the girls since it's been amazing for them but you know they the majority of them had no real grasp of English or you know culturally we had to ensure it was all female staffed yeah so it was yeah it was a really big thing for us as a as a club to do and for me as a as a woman of color, as a mom, all of those things were were really, it was so close to my heart. It was just beautiful to be part of that. And, you know, we've got funding to do it again this year. So we'll be, we'll be doing it again this year with the same community. We've got more Syrian families moving in. And if there are obviously Ukrainian families amongst that, we will be doing that with those displaced young girls too. When you say it's life-changing for you and the in what way like and also the people that participated that you work with on it like as in seeing the power of it and yeah. the transformative power of it and, see, and seeing actually the impact that it has seeing the impact firsthand because we all you know we all know that we enjoy being in the ocean for whatever reason that may be but to actually visually watch someone who you have no idea what they've had to witness and see going through refugee camps, leaving their house in the middle of the night with nothing, finding out, you know, the next day that their village was bombed. And you you just can't imagine what that can do to someone's psyche. But then to to watch the girls splash around in the water just just like, you know, my children do, or just like their nieces might. You know, that just you know, that does it just puts such a big smile on your face. It's it's like nothing I think I've ever seen. And what was what was the reaction from the the surf community? Really lovely. Yeah, it's been really lovely. We had really nice um, feedback from people who were surfing with us. People who were surfing next to us were really just really welcoming. And yeah. I was so relieved because I was terrified that it would be something really different. Yeah, but it wasn't. It was yeah. I was really happy to to sort of have that as the response. So this is an example of what you mean when you talk about the transformative power of sport on a cultural level yeah which is what you talked about earlier um have, is that something that's related to your own experiences of sport as a therapeutic thing for you as you as you were growing up as you described earlier like is that maybe so because because obviously you've kind of alluded to the fact that that was it's in you know you've during the, our conversation you've talked about like a lot of experiences that you had and like a lot of like kind of societal and also personal experiences and like how you know you it's a bit of a refuge for you probably in 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 both sense of the word like to sort of do that so is that do you think something that influences the 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 view that you've come to have about this transformative power I think yeah definitely you know sport has so much power you know you only just you only need to sort of look at god look at anyone who does sport long term you can kind of see the importance it's held in their life but yeah for me it's always been it's always been there. It's just always been like, I guess, just like a long-term friend. It's never going to go anywhere. You know, I'm never going to not, you know, I can't run at the moment. I've got knee injuries and dodgy surgeries and all that stuff. Yeah. So I don't run. And that was a really devastating 
for me to, to not be able to run. So I had to find other ways of staying fit and other things to do. And, but yeah, if I, I always thought, you know, if there's not a sport that I'm doing or not something active that I'm doing, it's like, well, that's kind of a bit of me missing because it's just always been, it's always been part of who I am. And, you know, I've always been the same with the girls. I just think it's really important to have some form of physical outlet, you know, for them. And I've never pushed any of my sports onto them. Um, because otherwise I probably wouldn't have had a surf club had I pushed my sports onto them. Yeah. Because uh, it wasn't <laughs> surfing, that's yeah, It wasn't sure. your idea, yeah. <laughs> no, because funnily enough, for me, it was track and field. Why was it track and field? Because I could see Tessa Sanderson. I could see Fatima Whitbread. Daley Thompson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. In the, well, I mean, and but this is a really important point on accessibility because, you know, look at look at footballers. Like, yeah. in, you know, like in the, in the 80s, one of the few areas of public life where you could see visible black people exactly one of the few is football and athletics and especially in those arenas like in a positive way yeah really positive and so that you know which explains why a lot of people of color have have sort of you know veered towards those sports it was certainly for me i was running you know just because that was what i saw was you know that's what you did it's kind of and i was good at it yeah so and that's like yeah Okay, that's what. That's yeah, what I'm but I do. certainly, you know, surfing wouldn't have entered my psyche. Tennis wouldn't have either, you know, because they're just not sports that I guess I would have seen myself. But probably at that time as a kid, I don't. You, you don't think that deeply, you know. You just you just follow what you see, and actually, it's not until you you get older that you slowly start to unpick that and go, "Why didn't I think I could do that?" And then you start to you know go back through who your heroes were and heroines were. And then it becomes like really crystal clear. And, and that's why I guess we're doing what we're doing because it does count. You know, representation is so important at every level. And, and that's why. So if you can see, you know, people who look like you at all those levels, you know, and, and that's just not in sport anyway. That can be across any walk of life. It just it shows that that avenue is, is open to you. So with the work that you do and you've described some of the the, the sort of different ways you try to utilize this you know this power cultural power that that, that that sport can hold where do you see you've obviously thought about this like and and being at this position that we've described where you know you can take this in any different directions because obviously you're getting asked to do more things like you, you the, the work you're doing is getting more recognition like um I know we made it into a research paper. Can you believe? <laughs> well, tell me about that. Um, I've literally just read it. Uh, a friend of mine who's part of the Institute for Women Surfers Europe, uh, Martina, she was one of the instrumental voices doing her dissertation in Sri Lanka who started the Aragon Bay Girls Surf Club, so the first Sri Lankan all-female club, um, and in collaboration with Eastkey Britain, has had a research paper published and I think it only got published yesterday or today so I've just been sat reading it before you came and talking about obviously the cultural barriers within, in Sri Lanka for, for women surfing and and during that it was sort of reference to to other clubs worldwide who are you know getting similar results from having that all-female environment and there was brown girl surf there was like water in Israel and and wave wahinis in England, and I was just like, "Oh my god, we're in a research paper!" Obviously, it's a really small credit. Yeah, but, but I'm just is... like that. To me, is I'm I'm such a geek. I love 
I love research papers and impact reports. It, you know, I, I sit and read them loads, whether it's, you know, to do with shoulder injuries or knee injuries or, or you know, impact of women in sport, all those things. I just love them. So to suddenly see your club in one of those published papers, I mean, by Eastkey Britain and Martina was just, yeah, I was mind blown this afternoon. Well, yeah, but you need those like vindications you know can you tell i'm excited well you need those small wins don't you you know you need those things that make you feel like what you're doing is there's a point to it and that people are paying attention and that it's that it's kind of making a difference and i don't think you know you're like oh well it's really small and like blah it doesn't really matter does it it's It's more it's more like what what i think it it enables you to carry on doesn't it because it's fuel for you yeah i'm so stoked that that we're in there and kind of being recognised in that way is, you know, and yeah, I don't know what will. Oh, I don't know. I've forgotten the question now, Matt. Well, well I, I never, <laughs> I never really got there. But what I was, what I was going to say, what I was going to say was, um, how, what, where do you see the potential of like, what, what are your ambitions for it? Because you just applied for the opening up the outdoors grant, haven't you? I um, have. Yes, I have applied for the opening up the outdoors grant. Thank you. I'll just you. quickly explain what that is um, for people that because um, we haven't really publicised it, but basically it's something I've been working on with some friends and colleagues in the industry and um, a lot of the brands in the UK and across Europe, a lot of the outdoor and action sports brands have put money into a fund um, and invited groups that are active in this area of opening up the outdoors, which is what it's called, um, to apply for funding to support the projects, which is, and you know, you're one of the applicants for that, aren't you? So to, to, to access that fund and is like mentoring and and you know opportunities to help you grow and and kind of like so but for that you kind of have to make a business case don't you really so i was just in, i was just intrigued as to what your vision is really now that you, is this like my early interview because i've got it on I tuesday i'm not part of that process <laughs> i'm not but prepared I, but i'm just really interested because the theme that i've like i said that i've discerned from our conversations over the months has been like you, you you're like you're beginning to totally get your head around like the, the the influence and the change that you could potentially make with this vehicle that you've got and that, that you've created and the question for you is a bit like how much as we've kind of talked about like how much am i prepared to sort of how far do i want to go with that personally as we've talked about but then but then also the thing is like well what could it be you know like how much what what's the ambition for it what's the scale so that's kind of what i'm oh interested gosh. in um that's a massive question but you know i'm definitely I think now for me, I want to really ensure that surfing is accessible to communities, you know, to women and girls of colour. I want I want it to be something that is on their radar. I want them to, you know, to see it and go, oh, actually, I'd quite like to try that. Where can I go and try it? Oh, there's a there's a wave wahinis down in in Devon. Why don't we go there? Or you know, there's a wave wahini session running up at the wave or there's one running in Cornwall or, you know, something like that that creates that environment, that creates somewhere that women and girls of colour know they can come to one of our sessions and whether it might not be just completely women and girls of colour, they know that it's an environment that's absolutely welcoming, absolutely inclusive, absolutely safe, you know, and I'd, I'd like to find out what those barriers are, you know. I really... I really would like to know what stops, you know, communities from from even thinking about going surfing. You know, is it obviously, you know, location's gonna be one, but with the introduction of wave pools and stuff, you're taking that that coastal 
thing out of it and you are now opening up that inner city and you know whilst communities here you know if you look at the oh god this is gonna expose my geekiness now isn't it if you look at like (laughs) (laughs) if you look at the statistics of like the um the the sort of most recent census you know less than 10 percent of north devon identify as non-white so that's 10 percent wow I mean, I'm not surprised. And the other thing I was just That's s- why I got my COVID jab so quickly. Right. I'm in one of the marginalised groups, so I was called in. Right. And one of the other things I was going to say is like, yeah, Bristol, there's a wave in Bristol, but it's still really wa- rare. You exactly. see a black face in the lineup at the wave. And this is what I don't understand. So this is part of, this is part of my sort of thinking for that next step is why isn't that happening in Bristol? That's also a really interesting counter to this whole fucking bullshit argument that like oh anyone can do it and it's like yeah. it's there because there you've got a perfect example you've got like a the best facility in the country in one of the most multicultural cities in the co- yeah. in the country Melting you know, pot. like if if it was this like natural you know osmosis of like well if if people are aware of it then they'll just do it like then surely by now there'd be many more black faces or non-white faces in, in, in the lineup in Bristol and they just aren't. And they aren't. Like whenever no. I go whenever I go surfing at the wave, which is fairly frequently, I'm just seeing the same people really that I see in Brighton in the lineup in Croyd in the lineup. I think white, yeah. white and that's and, and, and still mostly men really. Yep, still mostly men. Although not on April the third. <laughs> yeah, you've got your event there, right? Yep, yep. There'll be over a hundred and thirty women and girls there for three hours, so yeah. Yeah. But it's it gonna is, be a lot of women. It is day. interesting that, isn't it? You know, like why well and I just think it's because like we've discussed, it's just it's the you have to help people make those connections, I think. Yeah, you've got to you've got to sort of just provide some form of vehicle to to go on and get people across the line. It's intimidating, you know, going surfing. I was intimidated when I went to the wave for the first time and surfed there. I had Steve buffering at the back, so I had to make sure he was behind me, you know, because I thought, oh my God, if I miss this wave and, you know, I'm going to be in someone's way, they're going to shout, they're not going to like it. And, and I thought, well, if it's just you, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, tactical. <laughs> So that's that's the goal, like understand it. Underst- understand what it is, what the barriers are, because it can't just be coastal now because you've got that inner city side of it and we're still not seeing any of that change in, in sort of that diverse community using the facilities. So there's got to be more to it. So yeah, finding out what those what those things are. So yeah, I'm sure there'll be some form of, I'm threatening to do some research, not as a, because I'm not clever. So, but I I do care and I'm quite nosy. So <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, want to find out. a long way. Um, <laughs> but you've also got a sort of chicken and egg sort of thing going on, haven't you? Because you're the, you're the, the other change you presumably want to make on this kind of bigger scale is like this institutional sort of change that we've talked about as well. Like, and, you know, obviously it's like if you have people in positions of authority that are fully buying to the, the this argument and are like enacting initiatives on at that level that top-down level to try and because obviously yours is like a very ground up level yeah that you're doing this like, yeah we're grassroots through and through yeah so like if you've th- that that's almost a bigger challenge isn't it to sort of like have an impact at that level i think yeah and that's and that's my there's my conundrum thanks matt um i don't know because i guess yeah in terms of grassroots i think we'll be able to find a lot of information out just from the reach that we do currently have and and that we're getting in bristol we're working with a local charity there 
Um, but yeah, from the from the top level, I don't know. I've been trying to get on the board at Surfing England for a couple of years. Um, I keep being told that recruitment's happening, recruitment's happening. So I'm always waiting. When recruitment does start happening, I'll be the first one applying. Um, regardless of what type of director they're looking for, I think I'll just apply. But, you know, I'm not resting on my laurels waiting for someone to come to me. I am chasing that down because ultimately I do believe that you need to try and change things from indoors. So I'm I'm trying to get in there, but it's not being made easy. It doesn't have to, like I said, it doesn't have to be binary. It doesn't have to no. be like a fight. It can and that's just... the thing that everything changes. I don't understand why, you know, there's no black and white. It's just, it's a whole load of grey. So let's just talk about it and I'm not blaming anyone and saying or pointing fingers. I'm just pointing out that there's a there's a genuine issue that, you know, people openly acknowledge, people see. It's been talked about multiple times. Yet you're 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 actively trying to be part of that solving and you're trying to change that process by putting yourself forward and going, actually, hi, hi, I'm over here. Um, I'm really working hard on this and actually I'd love to be involved and I'd love to you know, share what limited knowledge or experience I do have within this area at the moment, or even just the reach that we're currently getting. But yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty soul destroying to to always have it fall on deaf ears or just not, you know, I shouldn't really say that, but to kind of, but yeah, just to have it put off quite a lot, you know? Yeah. So you're speaking at this Surf Girl? The Surf Girl Summit in May. In May. Yes. Yeah, which is... Is that here? Is that down there? No, it's in Cornwall. Whereabouts? Um, Somewhere in Cornwall. Really fancy hotel. Yeah. Cause <laughs> oh, the Bedruthan. The oh, Bedruthan. Lovely. You get, you get to stay there? <laughs> no, not unless I pay. <laughs> Put that in your fee. I think I've booked into the local, uh, <laughs> local Watergate campsite. <laughs> <coughs> and Demi's speaking at that as well, right? I actually think, and I'm so excited, I can be a bit of a fangirl now. I think Demi's actually interviewing me on stage. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah Demi's brilliant. So really looking forward to that. So and what? So what is that event? Because I did want to talk about it because, again, it's quite a rare, it's, it's, it's just, you know, even that stood out. It's like, yeah, it's massive. It's, it's two days of women within the surf industry or within the action sports industry who are doing things, whether it's promoting sort of female coaching or or people of color you've got the amazing amna Akhtar from girl dreamer up in birmingham okay she's coming down to talk i think she was one of the the amazing the amazing minds behind long borders the borders of that borders crew right so the asian longboard crew in birmingham which were insane uh, so she's talking as well then you've got yeah, so many women there. Obviously, Demi's talking. You've got Tahila McGuinness, South African uh, PT. So she'll be doing some fitness, I should think. And yeah, it's just a real celebration of, of sort of all things women in sport. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty pretty proud, actually, to be amongst that lineup. Yeah, yeah. These people keep asking uh, me to talk. I'm going to get used to it. I had a quick look. You had, you had high billing, so... Ah, oh, that's very kind. I'm yeah. not. <laughs> that's because they've not heard this yet. <laughs> but even that, like you, you, you're kind of. That's again so interesting that you feel the need to sort of caveat, preempt, what you assume is going to be a negative response to this. I know. I'm. I'm terrible on I. Steve says it all the time. He's just like you always like apologize first or just yeah everything's like oh no just sometimes own it and just say actually. 
yeah, I've worked really hard to be asked to talk and I've been doing really, I have been doing really great things and getting so many more women and girls and into the water and, and actually all the stuff I set out to do, I've done. So yeah, just own that and say, way, way me. So where can people find out more about uh, Wahinis? I hope I keep saying it right. Yeah, You've been you too do. polite if, if not. No, no, Wahinis. <laughs> oh, I would tell you actually, that is the one thing. Yes, Wahinis. Uh, you can find out about us on our website, so www.wavewahinis.co.uk or follow us on all the normal uh, social media channels, Insta, Twitter and Facebook. And the plan is to expand it? The plan is to expand it. We have been given national lottery funding this year yeah and amongst a couple of private sponsorships from dry robe uh, local pub king's arms and hundo careers so we've got some some private sponsors and national lottery funded so yeah so this year is a big year for us so we're gonna do some big things and you've got the wave thing as well and we've got the wave thing yeah a hundred plus women and girls at the wave on april the third so yeah that's gonna be absolutely insane tickets still going for that or uh, we've sold out, well, sold out. <laughs> all right next one we've sold out but we're doing um we've got some charity spots which is really lovely because we're working with the felix road adventure playground uh, based in inner city eastern right and um, we're gonna take their girls surfing with us and then hopefully they'll come down to devon and surf with us then as well because again yeah. something they would not have the opportunity to do yeah brilliant how was it it was great because <laughs> <laughs> you, you were so nervous weren't you? so nervous oh you my were, god you were hiding it well <laughs> thank you no. very much no it's great thank you thanks for doing it Hi, thank you for having me imposter syndrome is alive and well but yeah i'm stoked i still get it so there you go that was me and a vet and i hope you enjoyed it talking to a vet and hearing her discuss her experiences and her focus on making her own corner of the surf world world a more welcoming environment i was reminded of a quote by Frederick Douglass, who's a freed slave and abolitionist who in 1855 was debating the morality of slavery with white slave owners and said, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. I don't know about you, but I find much to ponder in that powerful, beautiful sentiment. And I often find myself thinking about it whenever I get the inevitable messages that follow episodes like this from men, middle-aged usually, usually white, who are very, very keen to insist that there's not that the problems Yvette described in this episode don't exist. There's no barriers of entry. It's all fine. And if you don't get into it, that's not because of lack of opportunity. That's because you just don't like it. Um, so yeah, I often think of that quote when I get those messages and I'm sure I'll receive more messages um, of a similar bent after this one. So my thanks to Yvette for coming on the show and sharing her own emotional experience so openly and honestly. I implore you to check out Yvette's work at Wave Wahinis over at www.wavewahinis.com and you spell that W-A-H-I-N-E-S. There you go. If you enjoyed that or any other previous episode and want to support what I do, well... I'm going to take it old school for this one and list the ways you can help me keep this thing going. I still receive a lot of messages and emails from people who seem to get a lot out of the podcast and who seem to be very grateful that I'm taking the time to put it out. If that's you, thanks. Um, if you want to put a bit back and help me keep this thing that's given you seemingly such value going, you've got a few options. My preferred option to be honest, would be for you to buy a copy of my book, Looking Sideways Volume 1, which is available via my website, 
www.wearelookingsideways.com and which was acclaimed by Chas Smith in Beach Grit as a work of art. It's also reduced at the moment. Um, the reason I'm so keen on that one is because you get a really beautiful book in return, which is nice, isn't it? Um, otherwise, you can out, you can buy some merch over at the website as well under the tab marked shop or also there's a few icons on the website where you can buy me a coffee if you want to do that which people still do which is very nice otherwise the old word of mouth social shares also really help so why not give that a go all right that's it for this week no lengthy housekeeping corner as i've been harping on a lot for the last few weeks and to be honest i'm a little bit sick of the sound of my own voice um so i'm going to save it till next week in the meantime i bid you farewell with a nice big nice one